Mike, get your big head in there. Relax. No way. You tagged, right? You saw that, right? Uh, let me do it. I will see it now. Brentwood is probably number two. My Number one. Number that picture looks really good, man. My friend used to tell me. Huh? That picture looks good. Yeah, I tell you. I like to thank Denver and uh, Lauren for this beautiful book. Notebook for the rock show. David Bowie. David Bowie notebook that looks like a like a cassette. It looks like a cassette, but it's a notebook. Oh yeah, yeah, notebook. It's cool. Alright, so it's 2020 already, man. Without question. The shit. A decade. A decade, 10 years. 10 years in the making. When does it count? When it's zero or when it's one? You start it now from one to zero or zero to nine? They know that it's zero to nine? I don't know. I did. Some people don't count it to the uh, 2021. I'm more of a bicycle. Alright. Let's get rolling, motherfucker. Yeah, we definitely gotta get rolling here. We got a long show today. Long show, long show. We got some retards in the back of us that we might have to take a baseball bat and kill. The guy's loud for no reason. I know he's a piece of monkey crap. Yep, yep, yep. Today's show is gonna be about the kinks. Yep. All right, and I'm trying to do a show on this for a while. It's a lot of information. Uh, I'm gonna stuff probably two shows into one. All right, so that means I'm gonna click. Happy New Year, Happy New Year, everybody! It's a new year, and it's a new season of the Rock Show. And we have um, this year. We're going to change the format. There's going to be one time we'll talk about a band's history. There'll be another time we'll talk about a band, about an album of a certain band or a certain singer. Right, Mike? Right, right. Instead of talking about their whole history, we'll talk about how they're going to do an album or one certain album. But today we're going to talk about the Kinks. The Kinks are very, you know what, the Kinks to me were better than the Beatles. A lot of people I, might argue, I, can, I, think, I, I, I can go there. I can go and, there. And I don't consider them a boy band either. Like the Beatles were like a boy band, they were popular music. They started out that way, but Ray Davies is a, is a great songwriter. Uh, he's up there with McCartney and Lennon as far as I'm concerned. They, 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 they got the same thing like the brothers from, um, what's that other group that always have problems? Um, the two brothers that they also they they also they um what the hell they did the song uh, Oasis. Oh yeah. Those two brothers over the Gallagher brothers. The Gallagher, you know one time I went to a show and one of the brothers just walked off stage because he got so fucking that, pissed. That, that used to happen. <laughs> I mean we're gonna have some stories like that with And that. then with these motherfuckers they did oh, yeah. the same thing. Definitely. So definitely. people welcome to the forty sixth episode of the rock show and this is the Kings. Yes. Now to, to understand the Kings history you gotta realize the Kinks are Ray and Dave Davies, two brothers, Ray being the older one. Now, Ray was born June 21st, 1944 in Fortis Green, north of London. Uh, he was the seventh of eight children. Dave would follow a couple of years behind. Uh, they were born to Frederick and Ann Davies, working class family all the way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, something that, you know, the working class theme is something that was through all their music from the beginning to yeah, yeah. Um, the eighth child was Dave Davies. Now, he was born February 3rd, 1947. Immediately after he was born, there was a strong sibling rivalry between the two brothers. Uh, the, the rest of the people were, were all girls in the family. Oh, yeah? So, they basically 
must have been vying for each other's attention or you know whatever it was but that house was a, a full house. The father worked in a slaughterhouse. Okay, yeah. it was like he was like a second generation slaughterhouse guy. And and by house, slaughterhouse you mean butcher? Butcher. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he, uh, you know, would take his the, the kids to the pub and you know hang out. And the, the mother used to sing. She was from Ireland. Uh, the whole house always music was going on. Uh, his oldest sister, Ray's oldest sister, gave him a guitar one day uh, for his birthday and she was very into going to the big band dances that would be going on in schools and stuff like that or dance halls and she actually died uh, the, the, the day she gave him a guitar she died that night dancing with dancing with somebody yeah which is you know the song come dancing he's talking about his sister and everything you know that's you know it's he's thinking of her um, Dave played guitar too. Now, both of them had uh, a school band when they were in school together. Actually, they were talking about how they were, they had asked them they would like to do like a concert school. That's what it was. Somebody asked them and they picked another childhood friend that they had to be. Yeah. And there were like three guitars. One, there were two guitars and one bass. Right. right? Pete, well, Pete Quaife you're talking about. He yeah. ended up as uh, the bass player to the Kings. Yeah. And there was a drummer originally named John Stars. Yeah. Now, sometimes the band was known as the Ray Davies Quartet. Yeah, the Ray Sometimes Davies it was known as the Pete Quaif Quartet. And the reason the change was it depended on who got the gig. Yeah. Alright. So most of the time it was Ray, but occasionally Pete. Pete, yeah. Now, they debuted at a school dance and it went extremely well. Uh, an early lineup of the band actually had Rod Stewart the vocals. Wow. Because he went to the same school. Yeah. Um, Rod would leave that band pretty quickly and start something called Rod Stewart and the Moonrakers. Okay. Um, and, and immediately the, the Rod Stewart and the Moonrakers became a rival band to the Ray Davies Quartet. Oh yeah. yeah. Now late in 62, Ray ended up going to Wansey uh, College of Art. Uh, he studied film. He was going to get into sketching and drawing, uh, theater and music. And Dave, at that same time, got into a little jambo. Okay. He was 15 years old. Remember, he was a couple years yeah. younger. He got caught having sex with his girlfriend, like right outside the school. Oh yeah. Okay. In, in full-on sex. Okay? Yeah. And he got expelled. The both of them got expelled. She actually ended up pregnant. And did he wind up marrying her like a very early age? No, no, that was that was, no, no. Ray got married. Oh, Ray, I don't want to confuse it. Dave and, and and what happened was the two families got together, and they um, basically broke them up. Well, oh yeah, they kept them away. Yeah, kept them away from each other. Uh, they would be reunited many, 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 many years later as adults and have a, a relationship. But when he was 15, he, they, they broke them up. Yeah. And that messed him up. And it did, because he was like in love with this girl. And, it, you know, that's how it was in those days. Yeah. You know? um, did they have a kid? Did the kid have yeah, a kid? Yeah, they had a kid together. Yeah. yeah, they had a kid together. Wow. He wasn't allowed to see the kid or, you know, That's crazy, like that. man. Yeah. Into later on. Yeah. Now, uh, they became acquainted... Uh, with um, what's up, uh, Brad? I should say Ray became acquainted with uh, somebody called the Dave Hunt Band. Now Charlie Watts from the Rolling Stones was actually drumming in that band, right. and it was a kind of a jazz band. And Ray wanted to get into that a little bit. He still had his quartet, yeah. all right, but he was doing this side project with this Dave Hunt Band. Uh, he joined it for a few months, but kept the other band going. Yeah. 
63, early 63, February or so, he actually left that David Hunt band and then joined up with the Hamilton Kings band. Valentine's Day in 63 was very important. Uh, the Ray Davies Quartet played Hornsey Town Hall. It was a big gig, yeah. it went over fantastically. Uh, but they went. They, they didn't use that name. They, they were constantly changing little names around. But didn't they wind up calling themselves the Ravens? Right. At that point, it was they used the Ramrods for a little while. The name was the Ravens. Uh, by mid '63, the band was doing very well at shows and getting a lot of notoriety. Uh, they ended up picking up two managers to help them. Yeah. Uh, a guy named Grenville Collins and Robert Wace. Now, late in 63, they picked up a third manager named Larry Page. They had I'll be, a lot I'll be, of I'll be honest with you, I don't know why they needed three managers. Yes. I, I, I think that it was a, it did turn out to be a mistake for them. Yeah, they didn't wind up swinging those motherfuckers. They got ripped off. Yeah, they yeah. got ripped off. I mean, you know, if you're paying a percentage to each guy, well, yeah. what's left What over? you're making, yeah, what's not much. You know? So, by the end of 63, they settled on the name The Ravens. What's up, Chris? All right, Chris. Um, and American record producer Shell Talmy was getting interested in that. Uh, they heard a, he heard a demo brought over by one of the managers, and uh, he began working with the band. Uh, Beatles promoter Arthur Howe paid to promote the Ravens live shows. Okay, wow. they, they, well they paid him, I should say, yeah. to do the shows. Now Shell Talmy got them a contract with Pie Records. He was so enthused with the band, he yeah. went out there. He was trying to get them a contract. Pie Records, which was a pretty good label, uh, was interested and signed them. At that point, their, their drummer left and they got a different drummer named Mickey Willett. And then he was replaced by Mick Avery, who would be... Yeah, Mick Avery would be there for a while. while. Yeah. Now, he answered an ad in the Melody, Melody Maker magazine. He's on record saying like he was answering a bunch of ads, but the one that had the least description That's the one. was the one he picked. The one he picked. <laughs> you know, I guess the biggest one, you should say. Yeah. Um, uh, basically, uh, Avery was around. He, he had done some uh, early gigs with the very early Rolling Stones before Charlie Watts had joined the band. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he was playing with them. Um, he was actually a pretty damn good drummer. Very good very, Especially with them, with the way they were doing, the way they... Because, like, when you listen to the King, they had, like, this weird, like, kind of fast-paced... Offbeat yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, but very, very fast-paced. You look oh, at yeah. Brain, they were Some like, of the songs, yeah. Holy shit, you're like, no, motherfuckers, really. man, look I mean, at these they, guys they were, they, were, they were like, they were like proto Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they really were. But I think they were like, uh, to me, they're not pro. To me, they were more like, they were like a little bit of, like, they were like an infused. They were like rock and roll, jazz, well, like, everything yeah. I mean, into one thing. They're like their own style. They were like, yeah, they really were different than the other big British bands yeah. that were out They were different from the Stones, different from the Beatles. They were different, but, 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 but to me, I think they were, I think, to me, the Stone is one of the greatest rock and roll bands. And then I like the Kings. I, I would put the Kings the over Kings the Beatles anytime. They're time. in their own category. But um, they could have easily been the British Invasion if they would have hit well, at some point. We're going to get into why you know? they got stifled. We'll, yeah, we'll get into that. But now this is when they settled on the name the Kinks. Uh, basically, it was for publicity. They were thinking Kinks, kinkiness. Yeah. Uh, it was an outrageous name. Some of the clothes they wore was considered kinky. Kinky had a little bit of different definition back then. <laughs> Not so sexy, more like just outrageous. You know, but they pretty much most of the time they were dressed in suits. So they yeah, but they like, would wear like Edwardian suits. Yeah, okay, with ruffles. Yeah, and all that shit. You know, and and to be uh, Ray is on the record saying he never liked the name. 
which one? The Kings? Right. Yeah, you said you never liked uh, the Ravens. He got it. That was yeah. a great day. He, yeah. You know what? He did say he liked the Raven. He liked the Ravens better. He loved the Raven yeah. name. Right? Yeah. Now, the first two singles they released on Pie Bomb, it was a cover of Little Richard's Long Tell's Tall Sally. Oh, yes. And uh, a song called You Still Want Me. Yep. Uh, Pie almost dropped them at this point and gave them a chance for another single. And June 15, 1964, that single would be recorded, and it was called You Really Got Me. Everybody knows this song. All right? Now, the version they, re they recorded on the 15th of June that year, was considered too clean by Ray Davies. He did not. He, he didn't like the sound. He wanted it to be rougher. But Pine was like, "Fuck you! We're not giving you any more money for a single." So Shell Tommy actually laid out his own money for a studio, an independent studio, to re-record it. And and that's what he did. That's that what, for that sound. That, well, what happened was Ray said, "You know, I'm trying to make this distorted sound. How do I do this?" He just had the idea to open the speaker up and slice it with a razor. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he slit, sliced it open, and when he played, it was a. You know, and that was everything. That was it right there. And he had the sound, and they recorded it. And one of the greatest rock and roll songs. And you know what? It gives me chills to today. Look at that. When you hear that song, and you just hear that thing, and you're like, even before you hear the words, you already know this is a fucking great song. Just because, and it's like it gets you fired up and ready to go. You really got me. Was 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 a song about sex? Yeah. In a way that you couldn't do a song about sex. It was it was totally about sex. The Beatles were singing, "She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah." Okay. And he's like, "You really got me, baby." You really got me. Yeah, you got me. <laughs> that pussy's good. And interesting, <laughs> interesting is that in September, in, in August of 64, it would be released as a single. Within a month, they would do a gig on the Ready Steady Go program in yep. England. Uh, Reprise Records in America would pick them up, and that would go to number one in the States. And it would knock out She Loves You. Yeah. Let me tell you, that 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 song, like they're one of the few bands that actually went straight to number one in America from, from England. Yeah, yeah, they didn't they, they, they that was one of the few number ones they had, yeah. but, but it, 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 they did go to number one with that. Um, the band then went into the studio to record a whole album. That would be re released in October of 64. The second single would be called All Day and All the Night. Which another, another great song, great, great song. classic song. Okay. That would get to number two in the UK and number seven in the USA. Uh, next would be Set Me Free, uh, Tide, So Tired of Waiting For You. Uh, those songs also went to number one in the UK. That's a great song. All these songs are great. Early 65. But what was the name of that first album? It was a self-title album, right? Yeah, just Kings. The Kings. Yeah. Early 65, they went on a heavy tour and included Australia and New Zealand gigs with Manfred Mann and the Honeycombs and the Yardbirds. Oh yeah, the Yardbirds. Yeah. Imagine just seeing the kids and the Yardbirds on the that's same like a, That's crazy, that's like an old star, man. That's like, but back then it was nothing. It was nothing, it was yeah, nothing. because they just started. People were like, oh yeah, and those people probably I mean, 20 years yeah. later. I told them. The Kings is a very hard one. I'm not show. sure if Jimmy Page or Jeff Beck was in the band at that point. Oh, yeah. The Yardbirds. But, I mean, either one, either lineup had to be fucking amazing. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. You know, it sounded really good. During this tour, it became clear there was a lot of tensions in the band. Uh, there was actually an on-stage fight between the drummer Avery and Dave Davies. Yeah. Uh, during a song at the end of uh, You Really Got Me, I think it was, Dave said something to, to, to make Stephen McClear exactly what, but he insulted him and kicked over his drum set. And, fucking, and, and Avery just fucking grabbed a cymbal 
and threw it at him and it sliced his head open. He ended up getting like 16 stitches in his head. He ran out of there because he realized what he did. He was scared he was going to get arrested. And the cops, the cops were looking for him and the band somehow convinced the cops that it was all part of the act. It was part of the act, all right. But, you know, mid-65, they would come to America. Why did they have so many problems? Why did they fight so much among themselves? Because they were so talented and there was too many evils. You know, what the hell was it? Imagine if, like, a few of us in the bar here got in a band. Whoa. We'd kill each other. <laughs> there you go. That's your answer. All right? I mean, they happen to be brothers. They had some civil rivalry yeah. going on. This. But, I mean, you know, we're just working-class guys always going to, you know, but, but, it's, but they're brothers, you know, it's like funny, man. Yeah, they they can. They can. But that wasn't even between Ray and Dave. I know, that, that was, was between Mitt and they Avery. All, but they all fought. They, they all fought. They, they were fighting all the fucking all time. time. Like, now, and they would fight with other people. Mid-1965, yeah. <laughs> mid, mid they were on tour in the States. They finally got here. You really got me single. They would have the kicked the Beatles' ass. Well. Right. <laughs> the album is doing well. All day, all through the night, single is doing oh, yeah. well. Okay, and what happens? They get banned. Of the United States. But what's it because of green cards and stuff, no, right? No, well, no, why did they get banned? No, no. They did a they did a gig at the uh, for Dick Clark's where the action is show. Yeah. Okay. And something happened where that show used to be on ABC. And what happened was they I think they showed up a little bit late to the taping and there was a head honcho union guy from the uh, American Federation of, of uh, Musicians Union that said something like, you know, now that the Beatles are here, all these limey fucks are coming over. He said limey. Oh, all these limey fucking, you know, pimple-faced fucks are coming over thinking they can do whatever they want. And somebody, it's never been clear who in the Kinks did it, popped him. Wow. In the face. It, it gotta be. The, it had to be. It had to Dave, be Mick. It might be Mick. It might be Mick or Dave. Ray wasn't very confrontational. No, but probably Dave. I guess he Dave. Did, Dave what do you say, you motherfucker? Yeah. yeah. So they immediately got banned by the biggest musical musicians unit uh, union in the country. All right. Hey, my time. Hold on, guys. All right. But you, you know what I think? Well, I think it was a setup. I think the Beatles planted that guy there because they didn't want competition. We need to talk about this on the next conspiracy. You understand? Yeah. I think that's what really happened. That, guess who was the Beatles' biggest rival? Setup. The Kings would have been the biggest rival. The Stones too. The Stones too, but they were very, they were very different. But. Yeah. The, you know what? You never know. I'm you never you. know. It was, but it was the beat. Whatever it was, this would affect them profoundly because yeah. this was the height of the British invasion in yeah. the 60s. And they were banned from, from fucking playing here. And it, so for four years, that, that band would be would be on. But now, in July of 65, on that big tour when they were over in East Asia, yeah. they stopped off in Bombay in India. Bombay. And Ray... Ray this was in July of 65. Ray, Ray was, one morning, he was watching these Indian fishermen, and he was listening to them sing, and he decided to write a song called See My Friends. And See My Friends is the very first song to feature, a pop song to feature a sitar in it, okay? That's a, it's an Indian instrument, okay? And you sit down, you play it like this, and yeah. like strings. And if you walk on 6th Street, you see them yes, playing that right all the time. Right, right, right. Right. And uh, a lot of people say, oh, the Beatles, like Norwegian Wood was the first one. No, it, it was this song was the wow. first one ever recorded. 
and actually George Harrison is on the record saying like, like you know, what is that instrument? You know, like hey, you know, so and, and and he did it like a couple of months later. Yeah, you know. But after that tour, they started working on another album called Kinda Kinks, the second album. That was a great album. Now, ten out of the twelve songs on that album were originals, not like the first one, which had a lot of covers on it. Yeah. Uh, look at this. We got Tired of Waiting for You, their version of Dancing in the Streets. Yeah. A song called Don't Ever Change. Don't Ever Change. Um, this this album. Ray is on record saying he doesn't like it, it was rushed, that the production is not good. I think it's a good album. It's a good album, it's man. Good, but, but you know, it, it, it was rushed. They needed to get more material out and stay current. Um, but you know what the problem was is that I think Ray was a little bit... Um, he's a perfectionist. He's a perfectionist. That's what it was. Yeah. He looked at the stuff. He didn't think it's good because he, first he didn't like the name The Kings, which I think... Is, I, I like the name The Kings better yeah. than The Ravens. Ravens sound like a rockabilly yeah, band. Yeah, and then the way and he and even and even when you when you get an interview and you see this guy talk, he's fucking brilliant. Oh, he's a genius. The guy's like a fucking genius. I, I think he's a genius. And you listen to him and you can't, you can't stop. Listening. Yeah, you can't stop it. He's fucking great. He got like that weird fucking thing that he puts his bow on. You get zoned in. Exactly. Now. What they would do is they would release this album, but then they would come out with a couple of non-album singles. Uh, the first one being Well Respected Man, yep. and the second being Dedicated Follow or Fashion. Yep. I mean, you hear these songs in the pause yeah. today. They yeah. weren't even on the album. You know? uh, late in 65, they would come out with another album called King Controversy. It's three albums in two years. Yeah, it's right? three albums. That's yeah. a lot of work, On this one, they would bring in Nicky Hopkins, on uh, keyboards and, and, and piano. Uh, Nicky, of course, would be involved with the Stones and other bands later on, but he was first brought in on the Kinks here. Um, these songs were more socially conscious uh, songs, stuff like Where Have All the Good Times Gone. Uh, that, was, that was a single off it. Uh, they, Ray's writing was changing. It was becoming more socially conscious. Yeah. But one thing with Ray is he's very nostalgic in his writing. Yeah. Right? He talks about past times yeah uh, when he was young uh, when years ago and he's very different very different than any of the other major songwriters of that era where they were you know you know you had like at that point you know rock was getting very heavy acid rock Hendrix also, and he's singing about you know Back in the forties, yeah, back like, you know, every day, every day, being a child, right, hanging right, out, dancing right, here. Right. I, you know what's one of my favorite songs, Lola? I love that. Lola. Well, that's a couple years I away, mean, and that would be song. a very, that would be a very that's, big hit for me, that. To me, that's one of my favorite. Songs. Controversial, it. <laughs> it's controversial. you know, and, and you know, when you listen to it, you don't realize it until you really listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> now, at this point in '65, Ray was married. Uh, he had a kid. And things were getting to him. The pressures of the of, of trying to come up with a hit single, yeah. completing an album, touring, things were getting to him. Of course, he was you know taking care of his family, and they were making no money. And they that. really, they really weren't. They really weren't making anything. And you know, he was living in the same part of London he grew up in. He didn't move away. Nope. He, he moved like two blocks away from where he grew up. Um, there was a lot of infighting, and and Ray had. Uh, what could really only be called a nervous breakdown. I mean, he, 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 he's saying it wasn't, he, that he was just oh, exhausted. It was definitely but, but a he need, breakdown. But he, you know, he needed that time. Time off. out, yep. yeah. Now, also, uh, bassist uh, Quaif had a car accident, and he was replaced by a guy named John Dalton for a little while, yeah. okay, until he got better and complained again. That would be around the end of 66. 
Now, in 66, they had released a single called Sunny Afternoon. That's a fucking great song. I, I love that song. Songs, I love that song. And that one knocked out the Beatles' paperback writer for number one, summer of 66. Wow. Working on Face to Face. LP in 66. Now, Nicky Hopkins was brought in again to play piano and harpsichord. Uh, they were expanding their sound a little bit. Uh, that album will be released in October of 66. Immediately went to number 8 in the UK and didn't do well in the United States. It went to number 135. But again, there was a ban on it. Yeah. They could not play. They could not play live, and without being out there live, yeah, their albums yeah. were not. They were, they were being forgotten. But the interesting thing is, they what were the game radio play? Not much. Not much. Right? Not much because the albums weren't selling. All right, so they weren't getting much. But it, it, the, the interesting thing about this is they were able to. Ray was able to really kind of expand on his songwriting and do what he wanted to do in England where he was more comfortable anyway. Yeah. You know? um, like this one went to number 135 in the States, number eight in the UK. Now, there was the, the, the single on off this album was Dandy. That's yeah. a great song. A great uh, song. Party Line, and that, uh, yeah. that was written by Dave Davies. Uh, there was some controversy with that. Dave said he wrote it. I think Ray said he co-wrote it with him. You know, <laughs> Here we go. Back and forth. Now, in November, they would release a non-LP single, which would be one of my all-time favorite King songs, and that's called Dead End Street. Ah, uh, Dead End Street. Uh, yeah, hey, top 10 in the UK. Song. It would only make it to number 73 in the States, but this is a typical working-class King song yeah. talking about living in an apartment, being broke, eating toast with jam and honey, <laughs> uh, and cracks up in the ceiling and leaks under the sink. And, you fantastic. Know, you know, and they made a, and, you know, living in squalor, which is something they knew about. But think about when you were talking about Sunday afternoon, it's like the taxman has taken over my door and everything else. Well, that was a big thing in the 60s in England, and, and you know, you have the, the Beatles tax man. Yeah. You know, the, the taxation was like 90%. Yeah. For if you were made a certain amount. That's crazy. Which would, you know, which would get us to the Stones album, Exile on Main Street. Exile on they Main were tax Street. exiles. Yes. All right, so that's all part of that era. Yeah. Um, they made a video for Dead End Street, which you can see on YouTube. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. Uh, they dressed like Charles Dickens characters, big top hats, and they're walking around their town carrying a coffin. <laughs> the video, I think, was banned. Do you see the video for 8 Man? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's running around. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> There's a guy in a gorilla suit. That's fantastic. It's fucking fantastic. Oh, yeah. oh man. <laughs> well, we're still a couple years away from being I like, I like the song uh, King Kong also. Yeah. Uh, King Kong, I'm a hydrogen May of 67, they would release what is probably one of their most beautiful songs ever. And it's called Waterloo Sunset. Uh, May of 67 is a song about two lovers on the bridge at Waterloo Station looking over at the city uh, and there's a kind of guy he's like observing them and he's reflecting on these two people now this album I mean excuse me this song actually you think it was a big production it took only 10 hours to record right? and they spent a lot of time on coming up with the guitar sound for it wow what they did was they just they used what was called a tape delay and it was something that hadn't been done in the studios in like 10-15 years for people. What do you mean by a tape delay? Well, 
okay, I'm not a, I'm not a sound engineer, but what I understand, they would delay the guitar sound almost like an echo. Okay. Oh, okay. And, and, and it was a, something that hadn't been done since the 50s, and this was 67. So it sounded fresh, it sounded yeah, new. It was new sound, and yeah. Steve Marriott, uh, who was in the Small Faces at the time, is on the record saying, like, you know, saying to Ray, like, where, or Dave, I think, where'd you get, how'd you do that guitar sound? And he's like, what? He was like, oh, how'd you do that? Oh, it's an old technique. And they, they, you know, Steve thought that they invented it, you know, but it was an old technique. Um, I think, like, Hendrix would use it yeah. on a few things later on. Now, at this uh, how do you recreate that in a live album? Yeah, you can't recreate that. Live? No. No, right? No. So, no. it's a sound that you can only get pretty much... You could probably do it now, but not then. Not then, not yeah. that. Then they didn't, have, they didn't even have PAs back then, really. You know, anything to do that. Um, Robert Christgau, who was a famous uh, musical journalist, uh, ended up writing for the Village Voice later on and things like that. Uh, he is on record saying that Waterloo Sunset is one of the most beautiful songs in the English language. Wow. I agree. I think it is a beautiful song. Right. September of 67, they would come out with the Something Else LP. Uh, Dave Davies penned Death of a Clown on that. Uh, they had the song David Watts. Waterloo Sunset was thrown on there. Did you see in the video where... I think was it Davy or somebody started singing "Death of a Clown" all by himself, like one of the, and they they cut him off in the middle of it and started yeah. playing something else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What the that, fuck? Uh, was, you remember that yeah, shit? That was, was, like, that like, was that in the imaginary man? Yeah, like he started yeah. singing, then the other guy just hey, hey, okay, yeah, Davey, this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it was a Dave Davies uh, production. Was, and he was singing. I was yeah. thinking, like this guy's gonna punch him in the face. Right. Yeah. Um. What happened with this album, uh, the Something Else album, is at that time, Pi Records was putting out all these compilations. Yeah. And so you had all these best ofs out, and then they come out with a new album. So they, they were competing against themselves. Themselves, It yeah. sold poorly. Uh, they were competing with themselves on Greatest Hits. Now, to save face, what they did was they released a non-LP single called Autumn Almanac, which is great. And uh, it... it it's one of the only times, though, it got critically panned because, and this is strange, it, it, the critics said that it sounded like every other King song. Well, what the fuck do you expect? It's the King. Like, like, well, it's supposed to sound like Elvis. No, it doesn't sound like Critics were turning on him at that point. I don't know. But in 68, the band kind of stopped touring a little bit. Yeah. And they would release the Wonder Boys single. All right. Now, that only got to number 36. And it was the first time in uh, years that they didn't get to the top 20 in their singles. Yeah. But Ray continued writing uh, the way he wanted to. And he didn't give a shit about writing. Hit, even though Pi Records was saying you gotta write a hit. Well, Pi Records was a terrible fucking company for them. You know that the Kings were one of the few bands that saw a million records like with no problem? Yeah, I mean, like they, they, they got gold and they got, and they got nothing for it. They got nothing for it because they had too much management and they had signed a lousy contract. Yeah, it was bad, bad you know, contract. Whatever it was, they weren't getting enough on every every sale. So how many? So. Um, how many more albums did they have to do with Pi to uh, finish the contract? Did they get it's, out of it? Or they're they they're, they're going to be out of it soon, okay? Because they, they were only signed up for a few years. What happened at this time is, even though they weren't selling, Ray was writing like crazy. And he was working on a project that was called Village Green at that point. Yep. 
Now he did some shows. Uh, the band did some shows with Peter Frampton's band called The Herd. Uh, Pete Quaife is on the record saying that uh, we hated doing these shows. We just did. Them, we just did them to get out of the studio for Village Green. Uh, they weren't good. They were boring. They would play for 20 minutes or something, and that's it. All right now. In June of 68, they would release the Days single, which is probably my all-time favorite yeah, King song. So. All right, and uh, it's a song about saying goodbye to somebody you love. It's a beautiful song. That's a number 12 in the UK. It didn't chart in the US because the band was still on. This became this project became the uh, the Kinks or the Village Green Preservation Society. In late in 68, that album came out. Now it dealt with very British themes. It was sort of a loosely based concept album uh, about small town life and growing up British. Right? Yeah. Uh, Again, he writes about what he knows. What he, that's what he knows. Now, this album came out the same day, okay, in '68, as the White Album by the Beatles. Wow. And Hendrix's Electric Ladyland album. Wow. That was a to, to to give a comparison here. The Beatles' White Album, I think, sold two million albums approximately on its first day. Wow. You know how much the Village Preservation Society album sold? A hundred thousand? Twenty-five thousand worldwide. Oh, man. Okay. The Kinks were so under the radar at that point. Okay. And they come out with an album that really doesn't have any good singles on it. No. It's a concept album. They didn't give a fuck. They put no, it out. They just wanted okay. Now, and I also think they weren't happy with the company. They were trying, maybe they did that just to try to get them to release possible. me, do something, get it's, me the fuck it, out it, of it's here. It's possible. They, they would be gone soon. Okay. Yeah. Now, Robert Christgau, again, big Kings fan, working for the Village Voice, praised the album, uh, Village Preservation, but it, it didn't do anything for the sales. But no. what did carry the album was College FM Radio oh, yeah. picked up on it and played a lot of tracks from it. Uh, interesting though, in their whole stretch of career, their career, that album now has eclipsed in sales all their other albums of original. Oh, of course. Okay, it's become like the cult album for yeah. them that everybody has to have. Now, in early '69, Quaif, the bass player, would leave the band and start a new band called Maple Oak. Ray pleaded with him not to leave, but he left anyway, uh, and they called back John Dalton, who was playing with them for a little while at a time when Quake was hurt from the car accident. Yeah, John Dalton wasn't a bad No, very good bass player. Very April of 69, Ray said, listen, we got to do something about this band in America. We're not, we got to make it in the States. So he traveled out to L.A. and he met with some of the head honchos of the uh, American Federation of Musicians Union. And they lifted the band. It worked itself out. Whatever he did. Yeah, but okay. the Beatles said, hey, we, can, we already conquered. Well, we the, can Beatles, let them the, Beatles, the Beatles were almost done by that point. That's why they didn't care. Oh, they could come back. Yeah. They figured <laughs> they'd make some money. Yeah. Now, they would, they, they would come out with a new album now in 69 uh, called Arthur or the Decline and Fall of the British Empire. That's a great fucking name. My, that's my a, favorite, my favorite, uh, my favorite King's album. That's a great name a of great an album. You got, you got the album too, that title at all. Yep. I'd be like, I need to buy this album with that title. A lot of people think it's about King Arthur. It's not. No. Okay. Now, that album had some modest commercial success. Critically acclaimed, it was. Yeah. Uh, it had a lot to do with British themes and life during World War II. 
Um, in October of 69, they would start the U.S. tour based on that album. Uh, it didn't go as well as they wanted it to. Uh, a lot of promoters didn't want to touch them, even though the band was off. But they did manage to get some great gigs in at some major cities, including New York, where they played the Fillmore East over on Second Avenue. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, I've seen those posters of the you know the Kings, and I've known. I think I think Rick Rivets told me he saw them there. I know guys that age that you know wow. did see them. Um, they also played the Whiskey A Go Go that year. And, you know, they got some good gigs, and even though some shows were canceled. Uh, May of 1970, they would release the Lola single. Your song, okay? Great fucking song. Now, what's interesting is when it, you know, the opening line is, you know, he says, tastes just like Coca-Cola, okay? But he got in trouble for that, okay? <laughs> because in England, there's a, the BBC has a rule where you can't say any kind of product in your song. You won't play it. So they had to immediately go back and re-record it and say Cherry Cola. Cherry Cola, okay. yeah. So there's actually two different versions of it. Yeah, and, yeah. And you do occasionally hear the Coca-Cola version. Yeah. When he does it live, he says Coca-Cola Coca-Cola, a lot, yeah. You know, but but sometimes he says Cherry Cola, too. Cherry so Cola. you never know love, what you're going to get. I love, I love that bit. Tastes yeah. like Coca-Cola. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. Yeah, the champagne tastes like Coca-Cola. <laughs> you, 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 now, that was a U.S. top 10 hit. Yep. And it broke it open for them for the Kings commercially here. Yeah. The album in November 1970 was called Lola vs. Power Man and the Money Go Round, part one. What a great title. Top 40, yeah, top 40 in the United States. Now, they would have a lot of success with that album, but immediately they would... They would throw their, their, their support behind the soundtrack of an album called Percy. Percy, yeah, that was... Okay, a film, a film called Percy came out, and the film is about a penis transplant. Now, I don't know what they were trying to do with this. They were off the success of Lola, maybe, yeah. or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Let's do a soundtrack. Yeah, let's do a soundtrack. <laughs> about a penis okay. transplant. And th- this would be called, this would be called Percy. It was mostly instrumentals. And Reprise Records in the States didn't want to release it wow. because the album the album's about a penis transplant. Yeah. Okay. So, but they did have one good single off that album called God's Children, yeah, which is really song. good. Uh, and this was the time when Pi would release them. Their yeah, contract they was up. And they actually ended up leaving Reprise as well, too. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Now, the end of 71, they signed up with RCA. They got a million-dollar advance, and they would use that money to re- to build, in England, Conk Studios, which was their recording yeah, studio, Conk Studios. Yep. Now, they would begin immediately in November of 71 on the Muswell, uh, Muswell Hillbillies album. Muswell was their town from England, where they were from, yeah. Muswell Hill. So they called it Muswell Hill Buildings. Yep. All right. And that would be released on RCA. And it would have many different styles on that album, including country, something they were experimenting with. Yeah. Uh, you had some uh, Muswell Hill Building title track, a song called Have a Cup of Tea, a song called Acute Schizophrenia Paranoia Blues. <laughs> It, it, it sold pretty well. Say that five times. <laughs> I can't say it right once. I'm fucked up. Uh, that, 1972, they would come out with an interesting album called Everybody's in Showbiz. Again, yes. they're on RCA. Another album. And it was a double album, and it was basically live and studio. The live stuff was recorded over two nights at Carnegie Hall here in the city. Uh, and the cellul- uh, Celluloid Heroes was the big song off the studio yep. side. Very good that. Yeah, and that's a song about different celebrities. Yeah, and, uh, I love that song. that's a great song. Yeah. 
Now that would get to number 70 in the United States. Not a big seller, but the band was becoming slowly more theatrical. They were yeah. getting into a different period. Here. <laughs> now, this period, for me, here they went through a little rough. They weren't as good. They went through a little rough path. I, I, I don't know what they were doing here. I think there was a lot of indulgence, a lot of drugs going on. Uh, Ray had an overdose during this theatrical period. I also think Ray wanted to make his own white album, and I think that preservation. <laughs> Act one or two was a total. I thought they sucked. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to shit mean, on that. You know, might as well just say it. They, 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 they did. They did suck. It's a period that I don't know too many Kings fans that could get into it. Uh, there was a lot of infighting in the band. Uh, Ray, like I said, he had a drug overdose at this point. In 73, they had released the Preservation Act 1 album. Uh, they were just becoming more theatrical on stage. They were bringing like these characters. There was outfits. There was big, big choruses and uh, uh, backup singers and all kinds of stuff going on. A lot of people on stage. Yeah, it was like... Ray had a drug overdose at the time, and there was talk of him leaving the band and Dave taking over. That's how bad it got. Yeah. But it never got to that point. Ray Ray got better. Now, some people say that know him well say he's never been the same since. Wow. So, I don't know. But Preservation Act 2 would come out shortly after that, and Ray would come out with this character called Mr. Flash, and Dave would be Mr. Black. Figured they're good yeah. and bad. Yeah. Okay? And they would fight each other on stage, and they, you know, they had these other costume characters. Uh, there was one track called Mirror of Love at that point that was kind of like a Dixieland jazz kind of song. In May 75, they would come out with The Kinks Presents a Soap Opera. Yeah. Now, this, it's an interesting concept. Basically, it's about a rock star that changes places with like an average show guy. Yeah. And, you know, what would happen if you did that? Now, they would come out in August of 75 with the final theatrical album that they did called Schoolboys in Disgrace. And basically, it was a backstory going all the way back to Preservations with Mr. Flash, like yeah. just telling a little story of that. It got to number 45 in the United States. Moderately well. Yeah. No, moderately well. Now, these were really strange albums. They were. They were. Fucking weird. And they were all for RCA. Yeah. And, uh... I don't know. You know what's interesting? That at the same time in 75, you know who else was on RCA? Who? Lou Reed. Wow, Lou and he Reed. Did, and that's when he came out with the Metal Machine Music Feedback oh, album. So they must have been pissed off yeah. that they had these two artists that were like supposedly so great yeah. for putting out shit. Putting out shit. Horrible <laughs> shit. Yeah. You know when I think they really got really, when I think uh, Ray got back into fucking, when they got Clyde Davis, I think he well, really yeah, fucking Well, yeah, because what would, happen, what would happen the next year in 76 is the RCA record contract ran out they would sign with Ariston and Clive Davis yeah and that's Cl- really, Clive Davis liked the Kings but he a, wanted to turn them into like an arena rock band yes okay? he told them which, he which is, yeah. big arenas and right, stuff like right, that right right and they would release the uh, in 76 the Sleepwalker LP yeah and they uh, John Dalton at that point had left on base they brought in a guy named Andy Pyle briefly for the tour of Sleepwalker uh, it, it got to number 21 in the States did very well they were playing like Madison Square Garden and bigger arenas. By May of 78. Oh, so, yeah, something crazy. My uncle went to that show. Oh, yeah. He actually got the, really? um, 
playlist from somebody in the back of that day. Oh, on he stage. Got it on stage. He got it. He got it somewhere in the house. I, I need to get that and bring on the show. I'd love to. I'd love to see what songs they did exactly. Yeah, because um, he said it was an incredible show and they just played and it was. He said the arena. He said women were like taking they, their shirts off and they, really? it, was, it was crazy. Wow, it was crazy. I'd love to, I'd love to hear that. You have to see that list. Now, in May of 78, they would come out with the second album for Irish, or an album called Misfits. In between these two albums, yep. they would come out with a non-LP single. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, Father Christmas. Father Christmas, yeah, okay. And uh, the top 40 single off of the Misfits album was a song called A Rock and Roll Fantasy. John Dalton uh, returned briefly at that point on bass, but would leave again and get replaced by the ex-Argent bass player Jim Rodman. Argent was a band that came out of the zombies. Yeah, you know, this band changed a few times, a few yeah, they people. They didn't, have a lot of, they didn't have a lot of members, but they did change uh, once in a while. some guys came back. and Even the drummer, again. didn't the drummer get changed once or twice? Eventually. Because yeah, he eventually. was... Yeah. Now, 1979, would, they would come out with one of my favorite albums, something called Low Budget. It got to number 11 in uh, the USA, and bands like... Uh, at that point, it was the height of New Wave. And you know, bands yeah. like The Jam and The Pretenders and The Knack 79 were covering the Kings yeah. live or on their albums. Uh, Van Halen came out with You Really Got Me. Yeah. A couple of years later, they would do, you know, Where Have All the Good Times Gone. Yeah. Uh, 1980, they would come out with uh, the album called Live, Want Live, an album One for the Road. Uh, Dave Davies made two solo albums at this point. Yeah. One was self-titled and one was called Glamour. Now, late in 81, they came out with one of their best albums. It's called Give the People What They Want. And they gave people and what they, they wanted. They did. They, they, they delivered. That album had Destroyer on it. You know, Paranoia. Uh, yes, yes. I love that song. And it also had the song called Better Things, which is a, a great fucking song. That's so, another great song. Between 81 and 82, they would talk pretty much relentlessly. Uh, they would be playing in front of 205,000 people at one point in 82 at the US Festival. Yeah, they, they were, you know what, they were touring, they're like one of the few bands that they were touring for a long, Constantly, long time. Like two years straight off that album. Every year, wasn't there a little controversy because didn't Ray have his wives do it like back posters at one point? That was a, a little bit earlier. Uh, right, earlier. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I yeah. I wanted to bring that early, but okay. there was like a little thing about that. Yeah, I think that was during the... Uh, Face to face or, uh, or around that time sessions. He was married, he brought his wife in to do some backing vocals, and the wife was like, Oh, you should sound like this or that. Dave was like, Fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you. Get out the fuck out of here. That's a little Yoko Ono kind of problem. Yoko Ono problem, yeah. yeah. Well, he, you know, he, that wife would eventually leave him. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah unfortunately. Um, spring of 83. They would come out with the Come Dancing single. Great song. And that got to number six in the United States. I always love that song. It, it's, you know, it's not one of the best King songs at all. Okay, but there's just something about it. At but least that's like, a tribute to his sister. A tribute to his sister that died. And, and also a point in my life that I just, you know, like you have songs that like, yeah. they may not be the greatest songs, but when you hear them, you remember. Yeah. Like when you were 13 or 14. Yeah. That's, that's me with that song. Whenever I hear that, I always listen to it. I never turn it off. Uh, that's that like Eight Man for me. Eight Man is I love great. that song. That's I great. can listen to well, that. You're an eight man. Yeah, I have Eight Man. <laughs> 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 
Now that album was called State of Confusion uh, would come dancing on it. That would go to number 12 in the United States. There was another single on there that did well called Don't Forget to Dance. That went top 30. Now the second half of 83, Ray began working on this like film project called Return to Waterloo. And it was at a high point. Uh, the, the, the Kinks were doing very well. They were selling a lot of records. Dave was making a lot of money. Ray was making a lot of money. They had a good contract. And Ray went off and started doing this, this movie thing. And Dave got pissed off over it. Uh, Ray also, at that point, uh, he had divorced the wife earlier, uh, but he was involved with Chrissy Hyde. Yeah. Okay. I think they had a kid together. You know what you Ray was such a fucking, he's such, even when you look at that movie, The Imaginary Man, it's like, it's like a, something about him, like you gotta watch it, like the way he talks and the way he tells story, and it's like mystical, it's like a weird fucking, you know what I mean, because I couldn't stop watching that, that, that documentary. I was watching like at four in the morning, yeah. and I watched the whole. I seen it twice now. Yeah, so good. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's a great documentary. I think yeah. Julian Temple directed that, right? Oh uh, uh, God, there was a guy that say he was. Uh, I think it's Julian Temple. Yeah, but they they showed the guy in the beginning. Yeah, I think it's yeah. him. Um, he, you know, his relationship with Chrissy Hine ended really badly. Uh, Dave kind of got back into feuding with Mick Avery again. Uh, he would be forced out of the band and, and, and Bob Henry would be the drummer yeah. at that point. Um, 1984, they came out with an album called Word of Mouth. Um, they kind of finagled this album where it was like a half drum machine yeah. and half Bob Henry's on drums. It's not a bad album. There was a song on there called Do It Again that did, that did really good. Got to number 41 in April of 85. Now, we're getting into the end period here. It would be 86 through 96. They would be signed by MCA in 86, MCA yeah. Records. They came out with an album called Think Visual. Okay. Um, Something called Lost and Found, Working in a Factory. Think Visual, the title track, actually bashed MTV. And they were actually being played on MTV. They were quite they a had bit video on MTV, yeah. 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 So they bashed the whole like video culture and everything. They would come out with a live album in 87 called The Road. 89, they would come out with UK Jive. Now that album, that album bombed. It was a live album and it went to number 122. Lucky even got to that. MCA dropped them after that. 1990, they would get, you know, I guess the ultimate recognition and they would get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know what he said about that? He'd say, oh, and then he was like, yeah, you know what? We've been on yeah, to be yeah, there. Dave, yeah, Dave, yeah, Dave was like, Dave was like, yeah, you know, fuck it. But then he was like, you know what? We deserve to be in there. to be in there. It was like, yeah, it was funny. Again, every time I bring the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, shit on that. I hate the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's bullshit. It's got nothing to do with Rock and Roll. But if you don't put the kinks in there, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything, you know? yeah. So they had to put them in. Now, they would come out with, in 1990, uh, briefly on Columbia Records, a song called Digia. Okay, I'm sorry, excuse me, an EP called Digia. It didn't chart. It didn't chart. The, the song in the album did not chart. Uh, they recorded some other albums they would put they would put out on their own at Conk Studios, but by 1996 they did their last gig ever, and that was at Dave Davies' 50th birthday party, and it was appropriate because it was at the uh, the Kissel Arms Pub 
in uh, their town in, in, in London yeah. where they got started. It was across the street from their childhood home. They played their last gig there. Uh, and then they went on. Ray and Dave did some solo projects and stuff after that. Yep. Now, I have to flash forward here a little bit because a very interesting thing happened to Ray. Do you what? remember this? What? 2004, what happened to him? In New Orleans? Well, what happened? He, a couple of weeks earlier, he had actually got like knighted by the queen. Okay. He's a sir. Yeah, sir he's Ray a, oh, Davis. Sir Ray, yeah. Okay. But he was with his girlfriend a couple of weeks later. This was in January of 2004. Yeah. Down in the French Quarter. And some piece of shit grabbed his girlfriend's pocketbook oh, and took off. Stabbed, right? No, he got shot. Shot, that's okay. what it was. And, and he chased after the I fucking remember guy. That, yeah. He chased after the guy, and the guy turned around and shot at him and got him in the leg. Yeah. And he was banged up. And, uh, you know, people were like, Ray, what the fuck are you doing? You know what I mean? Let the guy have the, 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 the pocketbook while you're chasing him. But he, you know, Ray was, Ray's a, you know. He said he didn't even think about it. He, he didn't even he think about it. He I mean, said, I just saw the, and then I changed. You, you know, what would you do? You know, it's, it's instincts. It's, it's like sometimes it's instinctual. Take over. Sometimes that happens. So he ended up getting shot. Now, later on, that to year. The new instinct is to take the phone while you're watching the crime and videotaping. Yeah, right. Now, somebody be videotaping it as he's shot. Uh, <laughs> fuck that. Now, <laughs> later on that year, in June of 2004, Dave Davies would have a stroke. Yep. Okay, but he recovered. Now, what I've been hearing over the last couple of years is there's talk of a reunion. Okay, now they haven't gotten it together yet. What I've heard is Ray and Dave, who are living in the same town and whatever, they've been meeting in pubs and yeah. bars, having beers, talking about doing this. I hope it happens. I've never seen the Kings. I, I would love to see them. They're trying to make uh, the fans gross enough money so they can make the album, too. Well, yeah. I mean, they should come out with a new album. But Ray's about, been coming out with good solo stuff. They're lately. talking about the album, the Kings album for 2020. And you know, if they come to New York, we got to go see go. them. I don't care Have who you ever is. seen them? No, I never no, seen them. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't see them that time when I was young. But yeah, I, I, I never seen them. I could have went, but I, I just didn't. I probably, yeah, you know what, it was the 90s, but I, I never saw them. I think I missed them, but, yeah. but I never saw them live. So yeah, if they ever did come to come out to the garden live, you know, that's what I call the Budweiser Garden. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the nice we'll suite. Get our, we'll get our nice suite up there. Yeah, and that's the free food the, and the free booze. The free booze, yeah. And most important. Yeah, very important. We got lumped up in that mystery show. <laughs> oh, my God, never forget that. Uh, let's talk about the album of the week. Album okay. of the week, man. Album of the week is going to be Arthur or the decline and fall of the British Empire. Great from album. 1969. Great album. Good year. I was born that year. Uh, that album, you know, it's funny with me with the Kinks. I, I, I've always liked them, and I've, you know, there's times when I love the early period, some of the later stuff, but this kind of like late 60s period I've settled in on as their best. Yep. And it'll lead me to the song of the week, which is Days, which is a song that I never get sick of. It's a yep. beautiful song. Everybody should check it out, Days by the Kinks. Yep. Um, we got some upcoming shows I want to mention. Yep. Mention the show. January 16th, The Addicts, great British punk band, are playing Pharmacy Theater. Go check them out or you're an asshole. Okay. And the other show is 23rd and 24th of January. Peter Murphy is doing a tribute to Bowie. Uh, I think around fantastic. the same time he's doing a show of his own material. I know that is sold out, and the first show of the Bowie tribute is sold out. But the 24th, me and this fucking guy are going. Yep. Okay. Be a good and time we're going to see Peter Murphy from Bauhaus. 
do all Bowie stuff, and it should be awesome. Yeah. And then oh Bauhaus playing where you're singing? Bauhaus is playing in June. We'll get to that. Oh, yeah. We're going to do a show on Bauhaus. Oh, yeah? Oh, man. Yeah. And uh, everybody, we got the next, uh, pretty much Rock of Mike got the this for the next couple of uh, weeks. And the next yeah. show, you should be we, pretty we, good. We jumped right into 2020. I really wanted to have, like, the first two or three months. We've got about three months. Uh, you know, fixed what we're doing. Yeah. February is Black History Month. We're going to do some great black artists, starting with Bob Marley. Ooh, Bob Marley. Uh, coming up soon, we got a show on Dr. John. We got a show on Elvis Costello. Uh, and we're going to do a show on the making of Exile on Main Street by the Stones. That's going to be a great show. All right, so stay tuned for that in the next couple of weeks. That's all I got, Mr. Rossi. And what do we say? Don't get drunk, get lumped up. Excellent. That was excellent. I can't believe I got all this fucking material. Holy shit. In an hour. Oh. I hope this thing didn't go off. No. Oh, yeah, I'm coming back to work, alright? I went to the sports bar. Probably not that far. Right? <laughs> 